Pious and elaborate treatise concerning prayer and the answer of prayer by John Brown of Wamfrey, chapter seven. <clears throat> chapter seven uh, is the unregenerate are obliged to pray. Brown is continually referencing or working off of John fourteen thirteen and fourteen. Whatsoever you shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you shall ask anything in my name, I will do it. <clears throat> so we're going to look uh, mainly, the, the chapter is mainly comprised of reasons why the unregenerate are under obligation to pray. <clears throat> His point is twofold. Uh, one is... This is something which is a duty required of everyone. It's not something where you need to ask yourself, am I born again? Uh, although, if you are under this duty and you can't pray, you probably should be asking yourself, am I born again? And the point is, if it's the obligation of someone unregenerate, how much more is it the obligation of those who are regenerate? Now, beyond the rules or the, the points that he's going to, to bring, uh, he, there are, at the end of the chapter, several objections that he's going to consider. And so I'll, I'll, I'll make some additional comments on the objections when we get there, but He's going to address several places in Scripture, in particular, where uh, people may go to basically to stake the claim that they're not under an obligation to pray. The, un the unregenerate are not really um, required to pray. So, <clears throat> as we look through this... Um, Certainly the earlier reasons <clears throat> are all going to be appeals one way or other to light of nature, law of nature type issues. The idea of natural light, uh, the, the sensibility that the creature has toward the creator. And from that he will move into reinforcing that with various things that are said in Scripture, and various principles that are, in fact, um, set forth in the Bible. So, I forget how many reasons there are. Let me look here. Uh, there are going to be 24 reasons we're going to be examining. So we want to move through them. There are a few where I'm going to be uh, probably asking you to read a couple of verses aloud uh, just to help bring out his point a little bit more. So he's, he's really addressing in this chapter the question of whether or not people who are unregenerate living in nature are called to the practice of uh, this duty of prayer. 
and he's he's addressing the issue that I think some people uh, either have raised or perhaps some people uh, they may in in the back of their minds think this you know if I'm not really a believer then so what I'm not really under this obligation right in other words the idea that prayer is solely the obligation of, of believers. And um, he really wants you to understand that not only is not the case, it actually can't be the case. And so these are the reasons why. So we're going to begin question 113, the first reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray. He says the first is... It's a part of natural worship. And his point is this. <clears throat> Unregenerate people are required to keep the moral law. And the first precept of the moral law Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That precept alone, he says, that, that moral principle which is binding on all men, that's enough to tell you uh, you have a duty to pray. Right? Because that's enough to tell you you have an obligation to the true God. Now what is it not enough to tell you? Who the it's true not, God is. It's not enough to tell you who the true God is. Right. So so what that does tell you in addition to that is, and he's going to bring this up, I think, in some of these subsequent... Uh, he, he alludes to this. All of these things are that he's listing from law of nature, light of nature... All of these should be drawing you to the point of inquiring after more revelation. <clears throat> All right, if I know that I have a responsibility to the true God, but I don't know who or what that true God is, then I'm at a, a, a distinct disadvantage to, to be able to fulfill that precept. Right? So it's required then that I, I find out. That's implied in that. I need to find out. So the light and law of nature is always pressing people to search for a special revelation. And I, I just as an aside, I'd like to point out that's why the heathen inevitably end up with all kinds of superstitious rites and observances. Right there, whether it's charting the stars, reading tea leaves, you know, whatever it is, they're trying to discern some kind of, of revelation beyond 
The natural, yeah. <clears throat> At one point, though, they had that because, uh, you know, if everyone descended from Adam, Adam taught his children, but the unbelieving yes. children, obviously, they, they departed, and then they, they start adding things in and forgetting stuff, and that's Correct. kind of where you get that knowledge that there is a true God, but um, they have their superstitions yeah, and all so, the so right there. Right, patriarchal religion in the Bible is communicated familially uh, that there there is, in fact, this... Um, this transmission of information from father to son. But we eventually get to a point where that information is is um, so distorted uh, that God eventually begins to have this information scripturated so that men can't distort it and can't misplace it. Right. So what was what was actually relatively easy in terms of transmission, you know, think about this. In the, the patriarchs in the Bible live to very great advanced ages, and their lives overlap. In fact, <clears throat> Adam, if you look, uh, Adam lives within, I, I think, two generations of the flood. Right? It's, there are people who could have known Adam, like I, I think Methuselah, uh, who um, would live to right to the brink of the flood. Okay, so there's advanced lifespans, and even Abraham is 175 when he dies. Those lifespans are, for the godly, for the transmission of, of the true religion, that's very useful. When when lifespans are, are shortened, that becomes uh, a problem. And that's, I guess, another reason, esca- you know, um, thinking of eschatology with the millennium, the lifespans will be increased because the knowledge of God will be yes. increased. Because you'll be, you'll be promoting the truth to future generations. Yeah, and there, there, there will be people, in all likelihood, who are alive at the beginning of the millennium, who will be alive at the end of the millennium. Or close to it. Kind of like Methuselah, where he was. Yeah. All right. Uh, what's the second reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray? He says, well, think about this. If they're not, they're not under this obligation, they're not bound to glorify and worship God, then they're not bound to meditate or think on God. Um, but... Again, this is all part of the natural homage the moral and natural law requires of man. So the second argument is really um, it's to say that he's not there's a reductio ad absurdum. <clears throat> if he's not required to pray, he's certainly not required to meditate or think upon God. Uh, and that would be reducing all moral law, all natural law, to uh, to a point of absolute uh, uselessness. <clears throat> all right, number three. He says, if the if light of nature and natural conscience teaches heathens to pray. Um, to 
when, whenever they're in trouble, you may have heard that saying there are no atheists in foxholes. You know, people tend to pray <coughs> when they're in a pinch. <coughs> Very few people are so um, seared. Yeah, seared in conscience that when they're really, they think they're going to die or what have you, that they're not going to pray. Right? And he points to the case of the mariners with Jonah. I want to look also at Psalm 107, verse 28. <clears throat> Psalm 107, verse 28. <clears throat> Psalm 107, verse 28. Then they cry unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distress. Yeah, so he's saying if... If light of nature and natural conscience teach them to pray when they're in uh, in that kind of situation, then the duty to pray is actually on all people, including the re unregenerate. Right, the fourth reason <coughs> the fourth reason he gives is. He says, look at all the commands of Scripture which enjoin the duty of prayer. Nowhere is there an exception made for unregenerate persons. Now, I say that advisedly. He's going to raise a few Scriptures people would use at the end. Okay, There are a few places that people might try to point out and say, well, that looks like it could be a loophole. Right? But, but for now... Let's just take this point. The generality, the vast generality of scripture precepts relating to prayer, in no way, in no place, do they even mention a distinction between regenerate and unregenerate when they're talking about prayer. In other words, it's presented as a general duty. Right. Not just the duty of believers, but it's the duty of all uh, unto whom that, that command comes. And as we saw in the previous precepts, there's reason to believe that that law, that the, the principle of that law comes to all men in and through the, the um, light of nature and, and law of nature. Yeah. I guess you don't see anywhere in Scripture where God condemns the heathen for, for, for praying. Just, he just condemns them for praying not to him. You know, like your false Correct. idols. You know, yes. you're praying to your dumb idols. Yeah, we're gonna we're, to we'll get to that when we get to the objections. There, there, there's there are certain things, and he points out these are misconceptions. Right? That, that you shouldn't walk away from this with the wrong idea. So when God is condemning them for praying to idols, He's not condemning them for praying; He's condemning them for the idolatry. But we'll we'll get to that. <clears throat> but their motives will be different for praying, though. Yeah, their motives are different, and, and the, the motives <coughs> the motives are something, again, so the natural principle, the natural precept, moral, the natural moral law, is directing them to pray to God. And that direction includes in it... Um, 
the sense that you, when you pray to God, you know, you ought to mean it, right? You ought to believe it. You ought to be engaged in it so that everything that is correct motive, uh, you know, everything that would be considered correct motive is implied in the law. It's a different, a, a, a different matter than whether or not the heathen are able to do that. And again, we're going to come to that because that actually forms part of uh, one or two of the answers that he gives to these objections at the end. <clears throat> All right. The fifth reason, number 117, the fifth reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray... Um, it's as if if prayer to God isn't a duty required of natural and unregenerate persons <clears throat> then their failure to pray cannot be sin because sin is transgression of the law and yet uh, he points out that very clearly it is part of the sin and the guilt that's laid at their feet is for not praying. So he, he references Jeremiah 10.25 Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee. Um, and in Psalm 79.6 Upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. Uh, the, these these uh, verses both reiterate those points. You know, why would there be wrath poured out? Why would there be judgment meted out for not praying if prayer were not a duty required by the, the natural moral law, the omission of which is sin? Right? So if it's not a duty, then it couldn't be sin. But it's clearly treated like sin. <clears throat> Alright, number six, 118. Uh, the sixth reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray. <coughs> this one I think is um, uh, an interesting observation on, on what we've been talking about with natural law. He says it's laid to the charge of the heathen outside of the church that when they knew God they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. He's referencing Romans one twenty one, And of course being thankful he says must include prayer. And, and by the way, he, he says, and this is, um, this is a very important and interesting point. Okay. I was going to say, do the, do the heathen uh, recognize the importance not, not only of praying for what they need, but returning thanks? Or, or do they really the, the, pray That command, I think, is on them because of their, they have a duty to be thankful. Right? But... Do they do that? Do they improve on it, or do they, do they know how to do that? I don't. Uh, I don't think most 
do. Uh, they, they certainly don't know how to do it properly. But again, there are amongst the heathen religions <clears throat> certain rites and ceremonies, usages, which indicate that they're aware of that. that mm-hmm. Like they, their feast they days, they're, they're feasting for... <clears throat> yeah, they, they have different things where they uh, seem to acknowledge their, their obligation to be thankful. They just don't, again, they don't know the manner. This, now we get into Even like, like, like people the second today, commandment. People say who are spiritual, like, oh, I'm thankful for yeah. you know, all these things, but they're not thankful to God for them. Or they're thankful... Or they're, or they're, yeah, they're, they're, or they're thankful, but they're not thankful to the true God. They're yeah. not thankful in the manner in which he's pres- prescribed. Mm. Right? You can't have it both ways. So, he says it's going to be charged on, uh, based on the same principle, uh, much more is going to be charged on natural persons within the church than those without the church. So, if you're unregenerate and in the church, your responsibility is even greater because there's greater light. You have more access to the truth. So, let me let me point out, there is um, what might appear to be a catch-22 situation uh, for people who are in the church but are unregenerate. You might say, oh, by being in the church, I'm making myself more responsible uh, to the light, and I'd be better off drawing back, uh, staying away, not hearing any more, and so on. That isn't going to alleviate you, because there's this other idea that if you have the means of getting the information and you um, you reject it. You're actually putting yourself in greater spiritual danger. right? By pressing into it and seeking more of it and, and, and really grasping after more um, light and wisdom and understanding, you are in fact doing what the natural law is commanding you to do. Right? So, yes, you're going to be more responsible if in the end you're not converted, uh, but, quite frankly, doing all of that, going through all those motions, is the kind of thing you expect from people who are either converted or on their way to being converted, right? Being, mm. The people who are being effectually called. Mm. Okay, so if you're drawing back, it's never good. If you're pressing in, um, you're going to be more responsible, but what this tell, should tell you is, you know... Why are you pressing in? Well, why are you pressing in? <clears throat> it shouldn't be... Uh, coming in contact with the truth should not be... Uh, a spectator sport, right? You should be expecting to get into the the game, as it were, right? To sit on the sideline 
and just sort of observe is a very dangerous place to be. Now, again, you know, people who are first coming in, that's probably how they're going to feel and how they're going to behave. Right? But you have an obligation to, um, to press into that and not draw back. All right, number seven. <coughs> the seventh reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray, number 119. <clears throat> um, he says, Paul's doctrine to the superstitious Athenians. Right? He, he ref he's referencing in Acts 17. Uh, they worship, they knew not what, having an altar erected to the unknown God. And, and why, Paul tells him, God had made of one blood all nations of men and determined the times before appointed the bounds of their habitation. To what end? Paul says that they should seek the Lord, if perhaps they might feel after him and find him. And he says now, seeking the Lord must include the duty of prayer. So Paul tells the Athenians <clears throat> that natural religion essentially um, contains in it, among other things, the duty of prayer. Because it's telling them that they should seek after the true God. Which is what we were just talking about. Right, 120. What is the eighth reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray? <clears throat> he says, look, here's the fact. All are to acknowledge and profess God to be their creator and preserver. And everyone, like, like uh, the heathen poet that Paul quotes should acknowledge that in God we live and move and have our being. <clears throat> right? And that being the case, they're bound to testify this by prayer. Now, he's, again, he's presuming you understand that prayer is, as he's pointed out earlier in the book, offering up our petitions to God. Right? recognizing our own inability and utter dependence upon him. So that, that idea has to be in, in any of the apprehensions of, of people uh, in, in terms of what he's addressing here. He says... You know, the unregenerate are to profess and acknowledge God as much as the regenerate. Can't just, you know, can't say because I'm unregenerate I don't need to profess God any more than the unregenerate are, are exempted from the keeping of the moral law in other respects. Right, nine. 
The ninth reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray, 121. So this is an interesting one. I want to look at these verses. We're going to look in Ezekiel 36, 25, 26, and 37. Um, but here's his point. Unregenerate persons are called to use the means which God has appointed to bring them out of that natural state. So all unregenerate people are actually commanded to make use of means. And, and this goes back to what I said before, right? There's something in the law of nature, the light of nature itself, that is commanding those who only have natural revelation to seek special revelation. And that same impulse in that principle is demanding that they make use of whatever means appointed to bring them out of a natural state, right? Uh, that, that they need to be renewed. So we're going to look at Ezekiel 36, 25, 26, and 37. Ezekiel 36, verses 25 and 26. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean from all your filthiness and from all your idols, will I cleanse you. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And verse 36, you said? 37. 37. Thus saith the Lord God, I will yet for this be inquired of by the house of Israel to do it for them. I will increase them with men like a flock. What is he saying? He's saying, look, think about this. <clears throat> God is telling unregenerate men in Israel that he will be inquired of to regenerate them and give them a heart to serve him. Right? Give them a heart to obey him, to worship him aright, and so forth. And that's something that the regenerate, as they're being regenerated, are latching on to, that, that command, right? And, and then... The Holy Spirit yeah, they're is, entering into the spirit of the command. When you regenerate, you enter into the spirit of the command. Yeah. Right, so it's no longer that that command is no longer simply the imposition of a law duty, but it becomes a covenant response. <clears throat> Uh, 122 is the 10th reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray. <coughs> he says, well, think about this. If unregenerate persons can't pray for themselves, then they must not be not only under obligation, but frankly, they must not even be able to join with others who are praying for them, whether private or public. So, so they can't question. join in the prayers of a fam their family or the church. It's a problem. When it comes to the public corporate prayer, yeah. God, even when the unregenerate pray along with the regenerate, God doesn't hear God hears God hears the prayers of the unregenerate for the regenerate's sake, right? Or God only hears the prayers of the regenerate. 
Well, we're gonna get. We're kind of kind of get to that. Um, whether or not God hears the prayer is separate from the question of whether or not they're commanded to pray. Okay, we're, we're going to talk about that more in, in a few minutes. But um, this is about whether or not they're commanded to do this or they're enjoined to do this. All right, the 11th reason the un unregenerate under obligation to pray and how does each petition bind them in, for the reason it do, 123. There's several, you'll notice several points. So the first, the first thing, the 11th reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray is, uh, he says, look, all the petitions of the Lord's Prayer are such that even unregenerate people can bring those petitions to God. Nowhere, when Jesus teaches the disciples to pray, there's nothing in there that is of the nature or quality of being uh, restricted only to regenerate people. In fact, as he's going to point out, we're going to go through... Uh, Point, you know, from B through G here. I think um, every petition actually has a use uh, for the unregenerate too. Couldn't you say though that the Lord's prayer is is directed to those who are in covenant? But with the ascension of Christ, you know, go you you know make disciples of all nations. Mm -hmm. That's you know broadening the covenant for all mankind, but but couldn't you argue that the Lord's prayer is for you know those who are in covenant, those because He's teaching the disciples. No, I, I, right, and I, and what I what I would argue is that the Lord's prayer can only be prayed by those who are disciples, mm. but the command to pray it is to all men. Yeah, obviously. Right? The so the command well. is that you become a disciple, mm. so that you can pray this way. Mm. Right. Again, we're going to come back to that question. We, we need to be very careful <clears throat> that we don't conflate the two things, right? The, the commands and the obligations and the duties to the ability and the willingness and the voluntariness. In other words, the, you know, the law to unbelievers, as I pointed out the other night, the law to unbelievers is always a law. But to believers, it's also a covenant. Right? There's a covenant undergirding it. And a covenant motivating and, 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 and outside of it being a covenant, the law is just a curse. Right? When, when, when the covenant has been broken from the law, all that is left is the cursing uh, of the law. Um, as you say, just like some of the stuff we cover on Friday nights, the the so the command to pray is still there, but outside of that covenant, which only believers have taken, yeah, there's no obligation from God to reciprocate, answer prayer, whatever. Correct. But the command to pray is still stands. Correct. Right. Okay. Makes sense. Just yeah. like God commands all men to obey, but doesn't give the grace to all men to obey. Right. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, just obedience doesn't merit. And, and, and we have to remember, this is a command. His point at the very beginning is this command to 
to pray actually comes to all men because of the principle of natural moral religion. All right, so 123b, <coughs> which is really, we're, we're kind of going through the petitions, right? And, and the unregenerate as well as regenerate should wish and pray for the hallowing of God's name. It's not something, uh, hallowed be thy name is not something that can only be prayed by the regenerate. Because obviously the heathen want their God to be glorified, right? Yeah, they, well, it, it, they, again, the principle yours. of natural religion is pressing them to seek that end, isn't it? Which is why they're always fighting amongst themselves whose God is the better, right? Yeah, so that's that's important. Right, 123C. Uh, the regenerate, the unregenerate as well as regenerate are in fact concerned uh, in the coming of God's kingdom. And in fact they're bound to pray that they and others would be delivered out of the kingdom of Satan. Right. So they have they have um, an interest in praying thy kingdom come, actually. It's actually a very profound interest. There's nothing restricting uh, this petition, you know, to the to the um, uh, regenerate. Right, 123D. Uh, again, they, the unregenerate as well as regenerate, uh, should desire God's will to be done in earth as in heaven. Because if, if it comes to pass, guess what? Again, they will be made conformable to that will. And they'll be enabled to keep his commandments and receive his blessings. Again, they have an interest. That's what I find um, actually interesting about his discussion here is he's sort of pointing out again and again the interest that, that the unregenerate have. Um, in, in some respects, their interest is not only equal but greater than that of, of the regenerate. They have more to gain. Regenerate, you know, are already on their way to heaven, right? The unregenerate, not so much. So, praying and, and seeing an answer to these prayers, uh, that would be a great boon to them. All right, 123E. The unregenerate as well as regenerate have need of daily bread. And so they have need to seek it by prayer. They should still be uh, assuming the position, which is one of submission to their, their, um, their proper place in that creature-creator relation. Right. 123F. The unregenerate as well as regenerate have reason to 
seek pardon for daily sins against the Lord and others. <clears throat> and here again, in, in some respects, they are in greater need right? because they stand in need of, of all of their sins to be forgiven. You know, whereas believers, regenerate people are seeking a daily cleansing, they, they really need the whole the whole cleansing leading up to that. 123G. The unregenerate as well as regenerate are subject to temptations, to the assaults of Satan, and they again have as much if not more to gain by being preserved from the various evils that uh, could befall them. I mean, think about this. In their, for the unregenerate, falling under the, the wheel of, of evil is meeting with sudden destruction from on high, without hope. It, it's something that is is um, should be terrifying to them to be under that power. So again, they have not just equal, but probably more reason to pray than even the regenerate. Right, so that last question, and what further reason is adduced? <coughs> this is one twenty three H. Brown notes, he says, if our Lord had thought the, that prayer was not a duty for the unregenerate, but only for the regenerate, he says he certainly could have framed the petitions in such a way to make that clear. Instead, these are petitions really that, again, meet the... Uh, the exigencies of, of of both regenerate and unregenerate. And as I noted going through them, in some cases, at least, the unregenerate seem like they may have more to gain from from finding answer to that to those petitions. <clears throat> so they have more reason to pray. Right? I mean, the greater the benefit, the greater the reason. And the greater the reason, the greater the guilt for ignoring the reason. You know, that goes back to that uh, one of his earlier points. You know, if if there's no requirement for the unregenerate to pray, it's it can't really be sin in them. But it is. God doesn't hold them guiltless if they don't pray. And how much more those unregenerate who have the light of the gospel, 
Uh, how much more those who live in the light of the church, uh, those who don't pray? How much more guilt, frankly, to regenerate people? You know what I mean? He's not arguing that point here, but he could be. Because all the sins of, of the regenerate are actually greater sins than the wicked because they're sinning, even though they're justified, they're sinning against greater light and greater mercies, right? Greater light, greater mercy, greater grace. Mm-hmm. All right, let's move on to the 12th reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray, number 124. He says, if the unregenerate are not obliged to pray to God, then they're not obliged to acknowledge God in all their ways. And if that's the case, then do they really sin when they're living without God in the world? After all, you know, they're really under no obligation, right? I mean, that's the consequence of that. Again, it's a reductio ad absurdum, but it's a good way to point out the, the um, fallacy in thinking that way. You know, it's not far logically from the, the position that the unregenerate are under no obligation to pray to say that the unregenerate are actually not morally culpable for living their lives without God in this world. In fact, under the the um, uh, the umbra of prayer, we can include really all of this world, right? Because with everything, we're to to give. Uh, to, by, by prayer and supplication to give thanks to God. So, you know, there's, there's this continual reason we have to make this acknowledgement uh, to, um, to be very forward in our, in our recognition of our utterly dependent state, uh, both as creatures and as sinners. I like the 13th reason the unregenerate under obligation to pray, number 125. <clears throat> and that is this. Sin does not loose our obligation to duties to which the law of nature obliged before sin entered into the world. It's just like saying... Um, Morally, you contract a debt, and then you go out and deliberately bankrupt yourself so that you can't pay the debt. You're morally culpable, regardless of what the laws today uh, would say or do. You morally, you're culpable. Okay, and that's what we're saying with a sinner. God created man with the capacity. Right? He, 
had a moral constitution fitted for upholding the obligation to all the duties that the moral law commanded. Sin, just because sin has made us unable and unwilling to fulfill those obligations does not mean that those obligations have now disappeared. So this is, he's starting to get at that point that I alluded to earlier, right? Let's not conflate the two things. The duty to pray versus the ability that we now as sinners have to pray. Or pray acceptably. Because the fact is, some unregenerate people do pray. They just don't do it acceptably. And God's not going to condemn them for praying. He's going to condemn them, and he does condemn them, for praying in an unacceptable manner. All right? Or with an unex- praying in an unacceptable direction. They're not praying to the true God. Those are different issues. Would prayer be a species <coughs> of worship? Yes. Okay. So yeah. this, this applies to obviously like psalm singing. Oh yes. Like yeah. Oh yes. Yeah, we could. I mean, we're talking about prayer, but um, a lot, a of, lot of this stuff does kind of spill over into. I mean, we could we could be talking about psalm singing, right? Are the heathen, are the unregenerate, obliged to sing? Because that's a, that's another question, frankly. Um, and, and if we were going through the issue of psalm singing, it would be something we would have to discuss because it has been discussed in the church whether or not unregenerate people are permitted to join in the praises of the church. And the answer is uh, not only are they permitted, they ought because they too are commanded to praise God. Unless you're a Baptist and you can see the heart. Yeah, no, that's a different. That's a different issue. <clears throat> uh, anyway, fourteen. Fourteen three is the unregenerate under obligation to pray. Number one twenty six. Uh, if unregenerate persons are not obliged to pray, then they're not permitted even to cry to God for relief. Which he says is contrary to let's look at this, Psalm 107 uh, verses 6, 13, 19, and 28. Psalm 107 6, 13, 19, 28. Psalm 107 verse 6. Yeah. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he delivered them out of their distresses. What's the next one? 13. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. 19. Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them out of their distresses. 28. This is a joke, right? Then they cried unto the Lord in their trouble, and he bringeth them out of their distresses. No, it's a point. And and it's being hit again and again, because the point is... They couldn't possibly obey that command of God if they were not obliged to pray. He's talking about the Israelites falling into sin. Over yeah, sure, they're they're you know some of them are unregenerate. Yeah, 
Remember, the, the church, unless you are Baptist, as was pointed out, unless you're a Baptist, the church, uh, the visible church, is comprised of wheat and tares. And um, that is not, it's not our duty to sort that, uh, again, unless you're a Baptist, in which case, uh, uh, you know, congratulations for um, taking up the work of the Holy Ghost. Uh, he'll be glad to know that he can retire, but um, they're the vicar for, of Christ for the rest of us. Yeah, yeah. For the rest Many of us, uh, this is a, a much more complicated thing. And the fact is, the commands of God <coughs> are expressive of duties. He's, these are duties which are imposed. Duties are duties to man, irrespective of whether or not you are regenerate or unregenerate. Now, the fact is that spiritual duties in particular, all right, but really all duties can only be done in an acceptable manner by those who are regenerate. And that's why the psalm says, even the plowing of the wicked is sin. Okay, because even though they can go about that outward duty, they're not doing it to the glory of God. And we're commanded, uh, Paul says, whatsoever we, we do, whether we eat or drink, whatever, whatever we do, we're to do it to the glory of God. And the unregenerate are not going to do that. But let's move on. We're looking at the unregenerate and whether or not they have a duty. This is duty, obligation. 15th reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray, 127, is this. If the Lord hears the prayers of unregenerate persons, surely he encourages them to pray. But we know sometimes he is pleased to hear the prayers of the natural unregenerate persons. And we uh, actually, Psalm 107 uh, gives numerous examples because he's talking to people, uh, many of whom are unregenerate. But the question is, is he hearing those prayers out of covenant to them or out of, you know, for the elect's sake? So he, he may hear the prayers of the reprobates, but he answers not for covenant obligations to them per se, but because of his covenant obligations to his people, right? Because all things ha happen for good to those who love God. There, there are, well, there are, yes. So, <clears throat> those prayers are heard ultimately because uh, they are conformable to the prayers of the those people who are not only e uh, externally or outwardly in covenant with God, but internally in covenant with God. So, None, nonetheless, they benefit from them, yeah. don't they? Oh, yeah. They gain benefit. So, you know, there's there are common benefits. I, I've said in other occasions, the, the term common grace, I, I think, is not properly nuanced. It, it makes people think that we're saying something or intending something that maybe we're, we shouldn't be. People, they are there to partake of the, of the benefits of the grace conferred on the, on the elect, right? Yes. Yeah. And, and, and the fact is that if they remain unregenerate, we, we know, too, that they're going to... Um, they're going to end up misusing, misapplying, and ultimately uh, doing whatever they're doing to their own condemnation. 
Okay. However, our question before us right now is, do they have an obligation? And if God is going to hear it, uh, at least sometimes, right, within those con- that context, when they're praying, you know, conformably to the prayers of those who are really saints, you know, who are really in covenant with God, um, then the unregenerate, again, must be uh, under obligation to pray. And if the for the unregenerate to pray would then become a sin, right? If it's not an not, obligation? It's not their praying that's sin. No, no, I'm saying if 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 they're not under obligation to pray to God, like in the case of the the, the Israelites' sin, yes. let's say it's a perfect 50-50 split, half are truly regenerate from the heart, yes. and half of them are not. They're hypocrites yes. in the church. Um, they all pray, God saves them. Yes. He's not saying the believers among you have prayed, therefore I heard you. He's saying they prayed, and they were saved. <coughs> That's and, correct. And they were, they were That's pulled correct. out. But if there wasn't an obligation for even the unregenerate to pray, wouldn't them praying be sinful? Yes. And then, then the Israelites would be even more trouble. Because why haven't you chosen out from among you the believers to pray? Right. Yes. Yeah, the little popes yeah, there, to pray there, for you. Right. There, right. There's, there is an obligation within the covenant, and by keeping that obligation, they are, pre- again, they're pressing in. Yeah. They're not drawing back. So we're getting into some nuances that he's not really addressing here. But yes, in terms of Reformed theology and what, we're, uh, what we should understand is going on, uh, that is what's happening. Okay, so when he says, so he says sometimes he hears. We're going to have to deal with some objections because sometimes he doesn't hear. Right, and in fact, there are some statements like uh, that Jeremiah, we're going to address right? at the end where he just says flat out he doesn't hear them. Okay, so we have to address that. Right, but within that context, <laughs> as you know, they're the unregenerate in the church. Now, some of them, you know, some of them may eventually be regenerate, mm. <clears throat> but. At the time of the prayer, the prayer is heard, uh, not necessarily for their sake, but it's heard. As it's joined Whereas to the church. it wouldn't be, if there was something inherently sinful in them praying, it wouldn't be heard, would it? It's only heard because they're joined to the church, correct? It's, it's heard, well, heard in the sense of answered, because God, there's only a blessing joined to the covenant, not to the obligation, mm-hmm. right? They're praying... It's an obligation. It's lawful. They're not in a position to receive the the blessing unto themselves. But in the context of the covenant community, when the covenant community receives that blessing, do they receive benefit from that? The answer is yes. Right? I mean, when the enemies are pounding Israel and they cry out to God and the enemies stop pounding them, you know, unregenerate people stop suffering famine and, and, and hurt, you know, a world of hurt, as well as the regenerate. All right. Um, 16. 
Number 128. 16th reason that the unregenerate are under obligation to pray. This is, look, Peter advised Simon Magus, though in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity, to pray to God that perhaps the thoughts of his heart might be forgiven him. And I know there's a typo in this particular edition because it's referencing Acts 3.22, but I know that's not the correct reference. Probably more like Acts 13.22. So the the case of Simon Magus is um, important uh, in in a lot of this. <coughs> I don't, I'm not sure exactly which. Which chapter? But anyway, the, the case of Simon Magus, <coughs> you know, he, the story, and he's he's um, uh, he wants to to pay money so that he too can pray, and people will receive the Holy Ghost, and and um, God. Uh, instantaneously uh, smites him for that. And, and Peter tells him, you know, that he ought to pray. Well, why would he, mm. and this is his point, why would he tell him to pray? Mm. If he's in the gall clearly, of He's a clearly an unregenerate man. Uh, why would he tell him to pray? But you see, that, that actually is, stop and think, regardless of whether or not he's unregenerate, regardless of whether or not God will hear in, in the sense that he would answer the prayer. <clears throat> It's still the duty. His duty is still to pray. That is to acknowledge God did this to him. And that he did it righteously. And that he might forgive it. All right. The 17th reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray, 129. And that is God's threatenings and denunciations of wrath and judgment on unregenerate persons have the voice of a call to pray. When God visits the nation, and he, he references um, <coughs> Jonah going to Nineveh. And saying, you know, 40 days, Nineveh is going to be overthrown. Um, what is it they do? And, and by the way, Jonah doesn't tell them to do this. What do they do? They, the king puts on sackcloth and ashes and begins to fast and pray. And he tells everyone else to do it too. So there's no gospel in Jonah's proclamation, right? It's just judgment. And the light of nature tells them that they need to pray. Correct. At that point, At yes. That, point, yeah. Yeah. that that makes them receptive to uh, to his message. Now, and we know we know that because 
because of you know their their response they 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 conclude that maybe God will be merciful. Right? So they're they're already opening to what Jonah should be uh, telling them. I was gonna say, was that genuine repentance? Do you think? Or was it just like a, a I, Ahab I think, repentance? I, I, I think that Nineveh at that time, uh, that they do repent and that they're... They had some knowledge of the true God. Yeah, that they have knowledge of the true God for a time. They, mm. they fall out of it again. Nahum talks about them, you know, finally falling away from that but and, and the destruction that comes upon them. But for a time, for a window, some of them probably are, in fact, saved. And it, it's, a, it's clearly uh, one of those stories... That's in the Old Testament to show us that the you know the gospel is going to go to the Gentiles. Right. But in this case, the, the point is, these are unregenerate people, and Jonah says, 40 days, and boom, God's going to whack you so hard, you know your your teeth are going to shake. And they they um, they hear that, and natural religion really tells them. We better start fasting and praying. And and they pray that they pray the true God because obviously Jonah is his messenger. Right, and Jonah, so they, yeah, they know yeah. who to pray to. Yes, in now this they, case, now now they know who. Mm. Right, that's and that's key to why I think they are actually mm. uh, some of them are actually converted in all of this. But that's a different mm. question. The fact is, when it comes to them, it's un, they're unregenerate. Why would it go to them as unregenerate and so on? Mm. If it, there was something, you know, inherently wrong with unregenerate people praying. Mm. All right, 18, the 18th reason that the unregenerate are under obligation to pray, number 130. Uh, the Lord charges on a sinful people that they don't pray to him. Mm. <clears throat> and he references... Um, Hosea 7.14, they've not cried unto me with their heart when they howled upon their beds. And he says it's unquestionably their duty. And there, there are several verses here we can look at if you if people have the Bible, Sandy. Uh, Job 27.10. Psalm 14.4. Jeremiah 10.21. Uh, Zephaniah one six. So Job twenty seven ten. Job twenty seven verse ten. Will he delight himself in the Almighty? Will he always call upon God? Psalm fourteen four. Have all the workers of iniquity no knowledge? Who eat up my people as they eat bread and call not upon the Lord. Jeremiah ten twenty one. Jeremiah ten twenty one. For the pastors are becoming are become brutish and have not sought the Lord. Therefore they shall not prosper, and all their flocks shall be scattered. Zephaniah one six. Zephaniah one six. And them that are turned back from the Lord, and those that have sought, have not sought the Lord nor inquired for Him. Right. So, okay. 
By the way, the, the, the story of Simon Magus is in Acts 8. That's should have been Acts 8, 22. But, um, as an aside. All right, 19. The 19th reads, the unregenerate are under obligation to pray. Uh, question 131. This is, well, okay, now we have a problem. If unregenerate people can't pray for themselves, neither may they pray for others. What do you do if you have an unregenerate minister? And he says, we can't say that they're not ministers and that all their ministerial acts are not. Because but, but if they say so, that, that would mean that, that the act is almost like, like the papists who believe that correct. the... Correct. Um, yeah, the, the, the papists say that if, yeah. if there's no priestly intent, yes. in, you, for example, in baptism... Baptism doesn't count then, right? Uh, then it doesn't count. Right. Protestants reject that. The, the, the efficacy of baptism is not in, in or, or bound to the intention of the one baptizing. Mm. It's bound to the, the, um, the word of God joined to the element. And as long as the unregenerate preacher is preaching the word of God Correct. truly... Wasn't <clears throat> so, well, Paul who says that he would that the word of God be preached? When he yeah. talks about kind of that. So this that would be that that actually is again a very interesting point presents a huge problem. Are there signs of being unregenerate though? Wouldn't that be signs of living in sin? No, not necessarily. We we don't know who's you know. I mean, some people are clearly unregenerate, but not all. Not all unregenerate people who are within the bonds of the church. Are, are clearly unregenerate. Is this why, when it comes to a national establishment, why creeds and confessions are so important? Because you're going to have unregenerate ministers, but as long as they're sticking to the creeds and confessions and the guidelines, correct? Yeah, there's there's going to be efficacy in their churches, even though they are themselves are. Yeah, as long as they're as long as they're reading the Word of God, they're actually expositing the Word of God. They may not understand uh, the spirit of the text. Mm. But if the Spirit of God is working in you, mm-hmm. you're going to understand things maybe that they don't. Well, we wouldn't know that they're unregenerate. We wouldn't necessarily know that. No, but unless if, if, if it's evident that they're unregenerate, then... It, well, if it's, if it's evident, then there, there's, there's cause. Right? Away, there's, right? You, you know, we are... Cause in the church is either ignorance, gross ignorance, or scandal. Yeah, and if you have a... If your pastor's an open drunkard or something, that's an obvious issue, but... Like you're, I think the the case in hand is more like, what if there's a minister who's a minister for sixty five years of a community, and at the end of his life he becomes an atheist, or you know, an atheist or whatever, just totally falls and, and away. That that has happened on occasion, by the way. Yeah. Do you have to go back and rebaptize everybody? <coughs> yeah. Sixty five right. years. Did, does every, that nullify everything that you've heard? Um, and, and you know, frankly, I mean, I have a friend who. Who heard the gospel? Uh, the, I mean, the first time, and this is just to, to kind of put a, a period on this point. But um, he was an unbeliever, and I I don't remember all the circumstances. But he told me one day he was walking down the street, and he heard some drunk quote the Bible to him. 
and he couldn't shake it. And that became uh, that that became the occasion of his conversion. All right. So the word of God is more powerful than anybody who's touching it. And you should never, I mean, never underestimate the power of the Word of God. Accompanied with the Spirit. Accompanied with the Spirit. And you don't know when the Spirit mm. is going to blow. Right? And it could be, so, So I mean, if God could do that, and I'm not saying we should take every drunkard off the street and make them ministers, although a lot of times that would be better than the ministers these churches have today. Um, the, the, the fact is that, that um, uh, you know, they, these guys, uh, to, we, we don't look to the minister uh, as the deposit of grace like the Roman church. Okay. But it brings us back to, to Brown's question. You know, okay, if unregenerate men can't pray, are not allowed to pray, what, what do we do with unregenerate ministers? You know, and he says then, <clears throat> he goes on to say, you know, if that's the case, then we should have had infallible rules to discern mm. unregenerate persons from others so that no unregenerate person may ever be admitted to the office of the ministry. All right, what's the 20th reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray? 132. He says, think about the torturing of the minds of God's own children if this is the rule. I can't pray if I'm unregenerate. Right? I mean, the, the fact is... And, and How are they ever going to move from one point to another then? Well, and, and the confession you know, talks about this, catechisms and so on, with regard to the Lord's Supper, but um, the, the fact is that there are regenerate people who just don't know they are. Okay? And there are, un, conversely, there are unregenerate people who think they are regenerate. It goes both directions. But if you, if the rule is, I can only pray if I'm regenerate. The doubting person's going to have a hard right, time. Right. People who have uh, overscrupulous consciences are going to go back and forth on this, and then, then should I pray? Should I not pray? All right, 21. 21st reason. The unregenerate are under obligation to pray, 133. He references the case of Daniel, Daniel 9. Daniel confesses it as a sin of the people that they didn't pray to God. And he points out something interesting. Daniel doesn't restrict it only to regenerate people. I, I almost feel uh, the more we get into this I, I, that Brown is writing this because of the influence of Anabaptism. These later reasons now are starting to, um, starting to overlap with a concern for 
I don't know, Quakerism and Anabaptism, that kind of fanaticism. If, if we have to figure out whether or not we're regenerate before we pray, no. And Daniel doesn't restrict his condemnation uh, of not praying it being a sin of the people only to the regenerate. Right? Oh, only the regenerate have sinned and not prayed. No, it's regenerate and unregenerate. All right, the 22nd reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray, 134. This is, look, Psalm 1, or excuse me, Psalm 10, verse 4, mentions it as a stigma of the wicked. This is a mark of their disgrace that they do not call on God. It's a peculiar mark of wickedness to say that they don't call on God, they're not interested. <coughs> Twenty-third reason the unregenerate are under obligation to pray. One thirty-five. He says, "Look, whatever talents or gifts the Lord bestows on any, should be employed and made use of for Him and His glory." And he said that um, the gift of prayer is one of them. Right, and, and here's, this is the unspoken, I suppose, in this point. Not all people that are gifted by God are graced by God. In other mm. words, they're not all regenerate. And then the last reason that he gives, the 24th, the unregenerate or under obligation to pray, 136. He says, if, if it wasn't a duty required of unregenerate people, why in Psalm 83, 16, does the psalmist pray that God would fill the faces of the enemies of the church with shame so that they might seek his name? <coughs> <clears throat> I, I suspect if Brown wanted to go on with this list he probably could have but I guess at this point he thought it was sufficient uh, to give those 24 reasons however he does now move on to four objections that people might move against what he's saying So, 137, uh, what is the first objection? 137a. It says, well, it might be objected that in, in that pattern of prayer, the Lord's Prayer, uh, Christ teaches only those to pray who can say, Our Father. But unregenerate persons uh, can't call God Father in truth. Hmm. 
So, what is the answer to that? How is it answered? 137B. He says, um, keep in mind, first of all, when Christ prescribed this pattern, he made no exception for Judas. Though clearly he's not a partaker of the spirit of adoption. <clears throat> and so, in some sense, Judas might have called God Father in truth, though not in a strict sense. And he says, it's the same way that unregenerate persons within the visible church can call God their Father by virtue of that outward relation that they have. They do stand in an outward relation uh, by virtue of being in the external administration of the covenant that they otherwise would not. And he, he does go on to say, moreover, even the heathen <coughs> are bound to believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And so they, they could call him Father on account of creation and their Father because he's their creator. And, and again, in light of what we've talked about, right, that, that actually should move them to seek more, should it? should move them to seek that he be their father by adoption. I want to look at this verse, Proverbs 28.9. This is the second objection. 138. The second objection is it is expressly said he turns away his ear from hearing the law uh, that he that turns away his ear from hearing the law, his prayer is an abomination. Right? God, so God the people who won't hear the law uh, God says their prayer is an abomination. So Proverbs 28 9. Proverbs 28 verse 9. He that turneth away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer shall be an abomination. Yeah. So how do we answer this? 138b. What, it says the person who turneth away his ear, <coughs> the person who departs, God won't hear, correct? <coughs> correct. But as long as, as the unre unregenerate person still professes and he still stays within the church. Well, there's that. But he's, he's saying, he, what he says is this. Um, God is, is displeased with the sacrifice of the wicked. Right? He's displeased with their hypocritical and insincere way. But you shouldn't infer from that that, that their inability is, in fact, a reason for not trying to perform the duty. Right? So, rather than, you know, and this is this is always how you can tell uh, that someone is wicked, unregenerate, hard-hearted, etc., uh, etc. Et right? They when when um, when they're told 
that their obedience is unacceptable for X or Y reason, they cease from any attempt at obedience. Kind of like Cain? Yeah. Right? You, 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 in other words, you don't... See, the answer to um, my prayer is not heard from God because I turn away from the law isn't that I should stop praying. The answer is I should stop turning away from the law of God. And the Christian would say, why is my prayer not being heard? And ask for, you know, for his sins to be revealed to him, correct? Yes. Yeah, well, that, those are... All right. Um, the third objection, 139a. Uh, it says, since Scripture enjoins such as pray should pray in faith, how can they pray who have no faith? He says um, that the answer is this, 139b, if, if, if by faith you mean the faith of being heard and receiving the answer, um, he says even many regenerate ones many times judge themselves exempted from this, this duty. He actually goes through a number of different if by faith. But let's just summarize, right? If if you should pray in faith, it's really the same kind of proposition as, as the previous one, right? <clears throat> but I don't have faith. Should I not pray because I don't have faith? No, the answer is what? Pray for faith. I should be yeah, praying for faith, seeking faith, right? I shouldn't be drawing back. I should be pressing in. I should be looking for that which I lack to pray acceptably to God. Like the Canaanitish woman, she kept praying. Keep going. And she was a Gentile. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, this is, this is, I mean, it's very clear in the Gospels. It's a problem for the scribes and the Pharisees, right? They think they have it figured out. And it becomes an obstacle again and again because obviously they lack faith. But they, they not only lack faith, they lack the ability to see that they lack faith. Right? That's a problem. But if you're not praying, you don't need anybody else to tell you. If you are not praying, you do not have faith, period. Go back to that in Acts 9, right? Behold Saul, he prayeth. All the proof we need that he's converted. So again, lack of faith is not an argument not to pray. It's actually an argument to pray particularly that you might have faith. That God would grant you the faith to pray. To pray aright. I think Mark uh, nine twenty four is another good example for when the boy, you know, the boy's father asks, you know, uh, I do believe, help me overcome my unbelief. Yeah. There's one more verse we want to take a look at here, which is Psalm one hundred nine seven, and this has to do with the fourth objection, one forty a. The fourth objection, 
uh, is derived from Psalm 7 that David prays that their prayers may become sin. Psalm 109, verse 7, When he shall be judged, let him be condemned, and let his prayer become sin. But Brown says, look, that's true, but he supposes that not only he might, but he, that he would pray. Otherwise, he wouldn't need to, to uh, have this imprecation that their prayer would become sin. And, and he says, you know, this is something, um, by the way, all the enemies of Christ, for their prayers will become sin to them. They're not going to avail. But they're going to aggravate their guilt. But that doesn't mean that we can infer from that that unregenerate people are exempted from the duty of prayer altogether. So we shouldn't we shouldn't be thinking in that way. It's really um, it's really confusing categories and and failing to to um, uh, understand what it is that God would have from not only from His people but from all people. All right, with that, we're at the end of this chapter. The next chapter, we're going to be looking at the necessity and usefulness of family prayer. So we'll be taking that up next time we're going.